0: Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unconfirmed, the show that reveals how the market names in crypto are reacting to the week's top headlines and gets the InsightScoop on what they see on the horizon. I'm your host, Laura Shin, a journalist with over two decades of experience. I started covering crypto six years ago, and as a senior editor at Forbes, was the first mainstream media reporter to cover cryptocurrency full-time. This is the September 3rd, 2021 episode of Unconfirmed. The Unchained newsletter has switched from a weekly news recap to a daily email. Each morning, you'll get four to five quick headlines, a crypto meme or two, and a few recommended reads. Head to unchainpodcast.com and the sign up for the newsletter is right on the homepage. Looking for NFTs that are useful and fun? Try SoRare, the largest NFT-based fantasy game. You can collect, trade, and compete with officially licensed digital cards of soccer players from over 160 clubs on SoRare. That's S-O-R-A-R-E dot com. Polymarket is the leading information markets platform where you can trade on the most hotly debated topics, whether it's politics, coronavirus, current events, and more, all on the blockchain. For a limited time, sign up with referral code UNCONFIRMED to get your first trade reimbursed up to $100. The Crypto.com app pays you up to 8.5% interest on your Bitcoin. Get $25 when you download the Crypto.com app with code LAURA. The link is in the description. Today's guest is Stephen Ehrlich, editor of Forbes Crypto Asset and Blockchain Advisor. Welcome, Stephen.
1: Thanks, Laura. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, as they say in radio, uh, long-time listener, first-time caller.
0: <laughs> so FTX had some big news this week. Tell us what that news is and why it's significant.
1: Right. So so FTX, uh, specifically, it's a U.S.-based exchange. FTX U.S. Uh, announced that they had acquired uh, LedgerX, essentially a, a CFTC-licensed company that can offer crypto derivatives, um, Bitcoin uh, and Ether contracts, uh, futures, options, swaps, things like that. And it was a really interesting story because it, it, in some ways it kind of brings – the strategy that FTX International's CEO Sam Bankman-Fried used to um, uh, so successfully internationally here into the U.S. FTX U.S. Uh, started about a year ago. Um, it, its its volume is is relatively nominal, uh, especially in light of Coinbase, which typically does over four billion dollars a day in transaction volume. Kraken's over a billion, even Binance U.S. Um, uh, Binance's U.S. arm is over a billion dollars and. Uh, FTX U.S. is only, I say only, but only around $350 million. Um, That said, um, once assuming that this merger goes through, which um, I think should happen sometime around October, assuming no roadblocks, FTX U.S. will be able to offer uh, crypto derivatives to U.S. clients, which is not something that any of those other major U.S.-based exchanges can do. So that gives them a, a distinct advantage. And, and typically also these types of contracts and offerings are much more profitable. Than, than spot uh, transactions, so it, it is a pretty uh, it is a pretty important uh, deal for FTX US.
0: And so, tell us a little bit about Ledger X in terms of like its history or you know how it came to be in this position.
1: Sure. So, I mean, Ledger X started out a few a few years ago. I mean, they had acquired these these licenses, and they really tried to break into uh, I guess like the institutional derivative space and, and also the, the retail space. Um crypto derivatives though have tended to be a bit of a slow climb, especially in the regulated institutional space. I mean, they've really taken off internationally in the unregulated space, where I mean I, I think FTX does something like five hundred billion dollars a day or something nominal value. I have to double check that that's that. But um
0: Hi everyone, quick correction that Steve had me add after the show, which is that he misspoke here and he meant to say five hundred billion dollars monthly.
1: But LedgerX really never seemed to kind of rise up to the levels of like the Deribits and 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 FTXs and and Binance's and 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 so on and so forth. And it could be due to a multitude of reasons. But I, I believe at some point they just decided, look, um, we have these licenses; they are valuable. We're not finding the right type of product market fits. So this is probably a good time to find an exit. And it, it's hard to imagine. I, I would assume they've talked to a few different partners to find the best deal for them, but given FTX's uh, playbook that they can use um, in the U.S., it's hard to imagine that they found a better partner than than FTX U.S. to uh, consummate a deal and hopefully grow the business.
0: So as you mentioned, FTX is pretty tiny compared to other major U.S. crypto exchanges in terms of its trading volume. So how do you expect this acquisition to affect that competition between the crypto exchanges in the U.S.?
1: So I think right now FTX US is probably going to have a relatively um, clear lane to to do this. Uh, I mean, Kraken does have a futures offering, but they geofence around the US. I mean, Coinbase, I, I don't think, has any plans to offer uh, derivatives anytime soon, although I, I would imagine they will at some point. Uh, I mean, Coinbase um, actually recently pulled back its margin offerings. Uh, I think Kraken still does, but, but, but minimal. So FTX US will have um, some clear lanes to play at. Uh, of course, they have to uh, compete with CME, which I think is the third or fourth largest uh, derivatives exchanged by open interest in, in, in volume. So they are a big player and they do dominate the institutional space. But uh, FTX US can can try as well. And they also have some more specifically target, some more offerings specifically targeted towards the retail market, which um, traders like um, um, traders that could buy a contract for as little as about five hundred dollars in uh, depending on what the prices are of of that given day. I, I think the more interesting question though, here is kind of what does this, who should trade, uh, especially when the retail sector, who should trade these instruments and and for what, because crypto is already so volatile. Uh, derivatives do play an important role in healthy markets. I had a long conversation with FTX CEO, Sam Bankman-Fried about this a couple of, of weeks ago. And I mean, in crypto, just like any other market in the world, um, volume on derivative exchanges on derivatives is much higher than than spot. And they help as far as um, more efficient trades, price transparency, price discovery. But in crypto, it's a little bit different because the markets are already so so volatile that once you start um, offering these products and then putting leverage on top of that, which could be 5, 10, 25, 100. I mean, that can really create cascading liquidations that um, really don't do much to Uh, help crypto's reputation. So FTX US, when they start offering these products, it's going to be important for them to be conscientious about who they offer these products to making sure that um, those people have the right level of education because these products can be used to hedge against risk and to lower volatility. But it is a more advanced type of product. So um, retail traders that perhaps this is not someone for a retail trader that just um, perhaps Uh, doubled their investment because they bought a token and now they want to press their luck. Um, I mean, these are for traders, not for for gamblers.
0: And one other thing that um, I feel is fascinating about this um, acquisition at this moment in time is that recently there's been a lot of noise about crypto regulation and it seems to me at least that there's kind of like two camps emerging amongst the regulators and there's the camp that's kind of in favor of stricter regulation. And then one that's, um, I, I don't know if it's, if I would say that they want looser, but they're, they're more amenable maybe to like adopting new regulations for crypto or, you know, just kind of letting it play out a little bit, uh, to, you know, instead of regulating right now when the tech technology is kind of less advanced, and um, we see both of these strains at both the SEC and the CFTC, and um, I just kind of wondered how you thought the different regulators might uh, take a look at this merger and the entrance of um, FTX into the space here in the U.S. In particular, Gary Gensler's view, the chair of the SEC, has actually expressed openness to a derivatives-focused Bitcoin ETF rather than, you know, a, a spot one. So. I was just curious for your take.
1: Yeah, I mean that 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 is one of the the million dollar questions. And, and if you talk to Gensler, um talk to officials at CFTC, I mean they're trying to figure out like where do the the lines of demarcation go? They, like where does each respective jur- each respective jurisdiction end? And it's hard to know. I think I think Gensler actually asked Congress to help decide for them because it, it is really difficult. Um, I the idea of the CFTC and talking about an ETF, a derivatives ETF, is actually really interesting. Um, I spoke with Sam about this when I was interviewing him, and I mean his opinion is that one of the reasons that uh, Gensler might be so keen for a derivative-focused ETF is because Gary Gensler was a former chair of the CFTC, and he trusts the CME more so than perhaps other exchanges that um, that he operates. Although um, some other sources that I've spoken with have, have said that, uh, as far as um, when it comes to something like crypto a derivative focused etf is not necessarily the most efficient way of doing it i mean perhaps it's a a way to shoehorn in the first etf that we'll get but at the same time it's it's much less efficient than the spot one especially for an asset like like bitcoin where custody is really not much of an issue now that we have these enterprise grade custodians uh, and there's too many to to name here i mean i think the CFTC. I would anticipate that they've already done some feelers out. So they're confident that this deal will be closed. I also expect or believe that FTX US probably did not. um, They they looked at how long it would take for them to get this license and they were counting in years. And they just figured that it would be much faster to kind of jump the line by this license or by these licenses from from this exchange and sort of um, specialize in what each one each one does best. So um, on this particular deal, I I don't anticipate it's going to be too, um, it's going to be um, too hard to get approval on, but it it doesn't answer the larger question um, that I think you raised to me just now.
0: So in a moment, we'll discuss the future roadmap, I guess, for FTX, as well as other crypto mergers and acquisitions news. But first, a quick word from the sponsors who make this show possible. Do you love sports collectibles or fantasy sports? SoRare is blending this together to create an entirely new gaming experience powered by its community. SoRare cards are officially licensed NFTs from over 160 clubs, including Real Madrid, Paris Saint-Germain, and Liverpool, and built on Ethereum. You truly own your collectibles. They are productive gaming assets that will generate rewards if you're a good fantasy player. Join SoRare and connect with your favorite teams, live the game with passion, and earn weekly prizes. With over 10 million users, Crypto.com is the easiest place to buy and sell over 90 cryptocurrencies. Grow your crypto with Crypto.com Earn, which pays up to 8.5% interest on your Bitcoin and 14% interest on your stablecoins. When it's time to spend your crypto, nothing beats the Crypto.com Visa card, which pays you up to 8% back instantly and gives you 100% rebates for your Netflix, Spotify, and Amazon Prime subscriptions. Download the crypto.com app now and get $25 by using the code Laura. The link is in the description. Back to my conversation with Stephen Ehrlich. So, as you mentioned, you recently interviewed Sam Bankman Fried. What do you think we can expect to see out of FTX um, beyond just this week's news?
1: I think there's going to be a lot out on the horizon. I mean, most listeners of your show, I'm, I'm sure I've heard about FTX's recent $900 million raise, the largest private fundraise in history um, that give the exchange an $18 billion valuation. I mean, that's a very massive hunting license um, for them to go after. I mean, the company itself is already profitable. Um, it, it doesn't have a ton of overhead uh, aside from, I guess, like a handful of employees and, 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 and a big tech stack. So I really think that Sam is... and and FTX is going to try to um, further promote its brand, um, expand vertically, expand horizontally. Vertical integration is actually something that I know is, is very important to him. And it's funny, when I was speaking with, with Sam, I mean, one of the questions I asked is, um, he, he's recently said he spends about five hours a day dealing with regulators. And I, and I kind of asked him to contextualize that a little bit. What are the types of conversations that he's having? And, and he kind of said they fall into a few different camps. I mean, one are regulators in countries where they already operate and they're trying to figure out how existing regulations apply to crypto uh, then there's others where um, it's a country that um, doesn't have the right type of regulatory architecture and they want to engage with people in the space that know the industry well so they can have meaningful conversations and he really just said it's it's a lot of those types of a lot of those types of discussions and that also lends to the m a point that i think we're going to talk about in a little bit, which is again, now that they have this this war chest, they can go out and buy companies and and expand. They have to make a calculation on whether or not it's faster to to build and get the licenses themselves, or essentially import one, acquire it, acquire the people, the local knowledge, and 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 go that route. Um, especially with spot exchange, the scale is everything because margins are increasingly getting thin. So so that's very important. But but at the same time. Um, FTX and I think this is applicable for for almost any other major exchange. I mean, their ambitions are bigger than that. I mean, Coinbase wants to be the app store. Uh, I mean, other exchanges are looking to offer derivatives and and become market makers and uh, prime brokers and and things like that. So I, I do think we're going to see a period of, of massive M and A uh, in this industry as some of the real category winners and leaders uh, come to the forefront and other companies that haven't really been able to gain that size that 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 scale are going to look for exits that help reward the shareholders, their founders, their their investors and 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 try to um, find find the right fits.
0: And are there any particular areas that you feel are ripe for M&A in crypto right now or any particular trends you're seeing in that regard coming up? Yeah,
1: so there's a couple of trends. I, I mean I tend to think that we're not going to see the MA surge like surge instantaneously because the market is doing so well, for the most part, and most tokens are, are going up. I mean, I, I don't want to uh, general, generalize for the entire crypto market, but but for the most part, we're, we're in a bit of a bull cycle, especially recently as it's recovered from its um, recent nadir. But, but at, at some point, companies are going to have to get realistic about where they are and and where they stand. I mean, most ICO projects are worthless at, at this point, except for the, the lucky few, and I, don't, I mean, lucky, probably means hard work and a bit of luck in this case, but they have to be honest about, about where they are and there's going to be a matchmaking process. It's, it's the same thing that's happening in the real world um, where, I mean, MNA activity in 2021 in the traditional, the traditional financial sector, we've seen trillions of dollars in MA deals and there's no sign of it stopping soon because companies are trying to figure out where they fit during this COVID post COVID world and, and trying to reorganize themselves in, in crypto. It's important for firms to also be um, to also be self aware. I, I had an interesting conversation with with one of the co founders at, at Hermes earlier today, and I mean, he and I was asking him a little bit about the, the rationale behind the deal, um, the, the two hundred fifty million dollar token lockup with, with Polygon, and it was really interesting his his candor, which was basically we felt like we had a really strong product, we had great tech, but we weren't necessarily seeing the adoption that we were hoping for. Then um, here comes Polygon. I mean, they have a huge brand name. They're they're expanding. I mean, they're seen as the, the layer two darling, and now their ambitions are growing bigger than that. And it was just a perfect marriage because Polygon wanted their tech, and Hermes was not going to be able to match their their footprint, their mindshare, at least in the short term. So it was it was a perfect kind of marriage. Uh, I think there are some questions about whether or not the SEC and other regulators are going to care about a deal like that. But that, I mean, we can talk about that as if you'd like. But I thought the self-awareness was, was important, and that's really important for companies to be proactive and be honest about where they stand so that they can find deals that help create value for everybody. What I don't want is that if the market starts to, to go down and everyone just starts grasping for, for life rafts and lifeboats and, and we see these sloppy deals come through that destroy shareholder value or token holder value, excuse me, and, and, and that would be um, poor for the entire industry.
0: Yeah, it's fascinating that a token merger, because obviously, I mean, it was such a big deal. And, um, you know, it's unusual or or kind of something new, I guess. And at the same time, we do know that the SEC uh, really has its sights on DeFi. So can you address that regulatory issue that you brought up? I was curious to know what you thought the SEC might think of something like this.
1: So it's it's really funny. I mean, I, I spoke with um, Sandeep at, at Polygon. I, I spoke with um, some folks at, at Hermes. I mean, they both told me that they they really didn't have any conversations with the SEC. I mean, for one, they say they're not an American company, so they don't have to. I I would suspect that some people at the SEC may disagree with that categorization, uh, assuming that just maybe, uh, yeah. I, I mean, I guess they could probably talk to the um, folks at Telegram for a uh, um, for an opinion on that, but. I mean, they are of the core belief that these are utility tokens. They're they're not securities. They have legal opinions um, um, to that effect. They come off to me as very honest people that don't um, that aren't trying to skirt any sort of regulations or laws. They are trying to do to do the right thing. These laws are they are gray. The SEC, just for one, because that's the regulator I know the best. I mean, they are going very slow. I, I mean, really, the only two tokens where we've gotten any sort of relatively clear guidance. are are bitcoin and ethereum and everything else is up 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 for grabs so uh, if you're a company for instance like like herm is that maybe in a year they don't have a year or two of runway left maybe they do i don't i don't know that for sure they get they get this deal like what what would you do is it better to make this deal and hope that the sec gives it its blessing or whatever the regulator is or say you know what i'm too worried about this it's not it's not a slam dunk either way but I don't want to take a chance. I mean, at some point you kind of have to perhaps take a leap of faith. Uh, That said, I mean, there are some really important considerations with the deal. I mean, like on the Hermit side, they control about 90% of the tokens. So uh, between them and their investors and, and groups that they know. So they did a quick telegram check to see if everybody was sort of okay with this. Now on the polygon side, I mean, they told me they I mean, this is this is um, this is out there but I mean they were able to finance the purchase with tokens that they own in their own treasury so they didn't actually have to go to um, like matic holders to get a sense of what they thought about this. but if these deals become more common, i mean there are structures for how m a should work uh, I mean there's ways of going out and clearing it with regulators and also um getting shareholder approval and and I would imagine that at some point we're going to have to see, those types of questions and answered and procedures done, if it it really becomes a trend, which I suspect it will be uh, as this industry matures and we see um, further gaps between the the winners and the losers.
0: All right. So we're going to totally switch gears. (laughs) Can you tell us a little bit about who Farah Shafaro is and how she and her organization were using crypto?
1: Yeah, uh, I'm happy to, Laura. Uh, that was an interview that really was fascinating to me as well, and and, and a bit uh, personal. Uh, and I'll, I'll explain what I mean by that in a second. Uh, so Fresha, she is an Afghan um, expat. She's actually a former refugee herself. Uh, she's she's in her, her 30s. Her family actually had to leave Afghanistan during the 1980s with the Soviet invasion because her father was a high-ranking member of the Mujahideen, which is a, a, the, essentially the Taliban precursor, but the U.S. was was covertly aligned with them to, to fight the Soviets back then. Uh, long story short, she ended up um, studying computer science in Iran, getting a master's in, in CS in Berlin, coming back to Afghanistan after the U.S. Uh, invasion, I believe in about 2010, to become a professor of computer science there. And, um, and then ultimately she started a coding school for girls where they learned how to code, um, solidity they learned how to code smart contracts to query data from, from blockchains. And then once they graduated, they would, um, they would get money. Um, they would do, they would, um, actually get work coding blockchain and they would be paid in crypto. I mean, it was really kind of a, a wonderful Like These are the use cases. We, we like to talk a lot about making money and investing in crypto, but it, it's intrinsic value is rooted in use cases such as this, where it creates economic value where none could exist otherwise. And, uh, and then what makes the story even more interesting is that aside from just creating this mini economy with crypto, at, at some point, she actually had to fund the school of using crypto itself. I mean, they had used to have a local bank account. They had like a JP Morgan account in, in the US and they would wire money over. It was expensive. But um, that's what they had to do. They would sometimes use Western Union. It was expensive as well. But especially as um, in um, the earlier part of this year, when the Taliban um, started to go back on the offensive after the 2020 Doha agreement, which sort of consummated the U.S. withdrawal that just finished, uh, some of those payments started getting um, uh, wired back um, due to AML-KYC concerns. Western Union, I believe, uh, since I wrote the article, stopped servicing the country, which is not uh, unsurprising because everyone's now trying to figure out what the relationship with the Taliban is going to be. So the school actually now is funding itself entirely with crypto as well. So it, it really is one of the um, fascinating cases, but I mean, to be honest um, I mean, fresh Freshda would probably be a great guest for your show at some point too, if, if you're, if you're interested as well. But um, I mean, this was a very, it's a sad story. It's a story of hope. And it's also one that was a little personal for me because I, I am a former intelligence analyst myself for the department of defense. And, and I spent, um, a large portion of that time working on Afghanistan, trying to help um, build support for the transitional government there on um, combat violent extremism. And, um, and so it is, I mean, it is a sad day when, when this happens, although I'm not, I'm not Afghan, I'm not Afghani. And, and obviously it's much more personal for, for her than it is for me. As far as I know right now, the school is still operating, but, but it's remote. Uh, it has been for for a while ever since the Taliban uh, resurgence came and, uh, and, and I think it's really um, too soon to tell what's actually going to happen with it. I think the Taliban is trying to put up a good front. It's try, it doesn't want to be seen as a pariah state. It wants to have relations with the rest of the world. And I think a portion, a big part of that's going to be how it treats women and whether or not it's going to allow women to um, to study, to be in government, to have professional careers. So I'm optimistic. She she told me she's willing to engage with with the Taliban to talk about what she's doing. And uh, and I hope. Um, she gets that opportunity or at least is able to continue operating her school.
0: Yeah. Well, um, I, I, you know, really love that story. I I do think maybe I would love to have her on my show. So um, I'll have to get her details from you later. Um, But thank you so much for sharing that. And thanks so much for coming on Unconfirmed.
1: Yeah. Thanks, Laura. It was a pleasure.
0: Don't forget. Next up is the weekly news recap. Stick around for this week in crypto after this short break. Today's sponsor is Polymarket, the world's leading information markets platform where you can trade on the most pressing global questions, all on the blockchain. Choose from a variety of markets. Will Cardano support smart contracts by October? Will the U.S. again have more than 200,000 new COVID cases per day before 2022? Will Trump run for president again? With over $130 million traded on the platform, Polymarket is the go-to place to settle the biggest debates of the day. For a limited time, sign up with referral code UNCONFIRMED to get your first trade reimbursed up to $100. Go to the description and click on the link to get started. That's polymarket.co slash unconfirmed. Thanks for tuning in to this week's news recap. First headline. OpenSea's August volume blows even traditional internet marketplaces out of the water. NFT marketplace OpenSea just completed a $3 billion month, according to data from Dune Analytics, that accounts for a near 10x of its previous high from July when it hit $325 million in volume. OpenSea is far and away the leading NFT marketplace. According to Decrypt, the next largest platform is Axie Infinity's marketplace, which did $820 million in volume last month. CryptoPunks came in third, posting $667 million in volume on its Larva Lab site. It's not just doing well for an NFT marketplace. OpenSea's August volume matched 16-year-old Etsy's entire second quarter volume. The popular arts and crafts site did $3.04 billion in volume in Q2 2021. eBay's average monthly volume sits at roughly $7.3 billion. OpenSea would only need a two and a half times increase in volume to catch eBay. Next headline the SEC alleges BitConnect swindled retail traders out of $2 billion. On Wednesday, the Securities and Exchange Commission filed an action against BitConnect, its founder, and its top U.S. promoter, alleging that they defrauded retail investors out of $2 billion through an unregistered and fraudulent offering of digital assets. Specifically, the SEC's complaint targets BitConnect's lending program. The regulator claims that BitConnect tricked investors into depositing money onto the platform by falsely advertising a volatility trading bot that would generate large returns. Instead of deploying the capital, the SEC alleges that BitConnect siph- siphoned investor funds to personal wallets to the tune of $2 billion. Quote, we allege that these defendants stole billions of dollars from retail investors around the world by exploiting their interest in digital assets, said Lara Shalav Miraban. Associate Regional Director of the SEC's New York Regional Office. We will aggressively pursue and hold accountable those who engage in misconduct in the digital asset space. In other regulatory news, SEC Chair Gary Gensler continued to set his sights on crypto, giving a talk to the European Parliament's Committee on Economic and Monetary Affairs. In his speech, the two areas he cited specifically as needing attention were trading and lending platforms, quote, whether they be centralized or so-called decentralized finance platforms, and stablecoins, which he noted were involved in almost three quarters of crypto trades. Tether has petitioned the New York Supreme Court to block Coindesk and other publications from receiving documents revealing the composition of Tether reserves over the past few years. The stablecoin issuer claims that releasing such information would tilt the competitive playing field against Tether in favor of other stablecoins. Avanti, a digital asset bank, filed an application to become a Federal Reserve member bank, becoming the first crypto bank to seek federal supervision directly from the Fed itself. The move, if approved, would allow Avanti access to the Fed's payment system, and thereby quicker and cheaper order processing. Next headline, Binance.com added to investor alert list by Singapore regulator. The Monetary Authority of Singapore, the main financial regulator in that country, has placed Binance.com on its investor alert list. Its country-specific site, Binance.sg, is a separate entity and is not on the list. Last week, Binance.sg hired Richard Tang, the former chief regulatory officer of the Singapore Stock Exchange, as its CEO. Binance.com, however, has come under regulatory scrutiny and pressure these last few months with multiple jurisdictions from Europe to Asia making enforcement actions or issuing warnings about the exchange. Additionally, its U.S. entity, Binance.us, suffered a blow recently when recently hired CEO Brian Brooks, also a former regulator, left within a few months. In an interview with The Information this week, Binance.com CEO Chengpeng Zhao, known as CZ, said, quote, Regulators around the world are looking at crypto. And when they look at crypto, they do look at us first given that we are by far the largest player in the market globally. In the interview, CZ also said Binance.us plans to go public within three years. Next headline, Jack Dorsey plans to make Bitcoin DeFi a reality. In July, Twitter and Square CEO Jack Dorsey announced plans to create an open source Bitcoin platform named TBD. Last Friday, Mike Brock, the cash app exec heading up TBD, gave an update on Twitter, writing, quote, This is the problem we're going to solve. Make it easy to fund a non-custodial wallet anywhere in the world through a platform to build on and off ramps into Bitcoin. You can think about this as a decentralized exchange for fiat. Brock views TBD as a missing piece for the crypto industry, which, as currently constituted, relies on centralized third parties like Coinbase and Cash App to facilitate fiat transactions. TBD plans to build its project out in the open, completely permissionless, intending to allow any non-custodial wallet to plug into its DEX. For now, Brock and Dorsey hope to keep TBD Bitcoin native. However, as Bitcoin is not a smart contract platform like Ethereum or Solana, the tech stack must improve for TBD to succeed. Brock mentioned Rootstock, a smart contract Bitcoin sidechain, as a possible option for building out the Bitcoin DEX. However, he noted, quote, the gaps needed to build this may be too large, which would also have us consider other chains as a bridge. Speaking of Jack Dorsey, according to Mac Rumors, Twitter may soon enable users to tip creators with Bitcoin. An unreleased beta version of Twitter's code has an update that would show users how to use Bitcoin, complete with a Lightning Network tutorial and information on custodial versus non-custodial wallets. Twitter would be partnering with Strike to make this happen, if the rumor becomes reality. Next headline. The Ethereum blockchain split due to a software bug. A bug in Ethereum's most popular software client, Go Ethereum or Geth, caused the blockchain to split last Friday, August 27th. The split can be traced back to August 18th when the Geth team initially disclosed a vulnerability in the software. At the time, the developers did not explain the nature of the bug in an effort to prevent a hack before it was patched. On August 24th, Geth released a hotfix for the bug, describing it as quote, a high severity security issue. By the 27th, it became clear that Geth's efforts to patch the bug fell short, as a subset of Ethereum notes failed to update their Geth software. This resulted in a chain split where Ethereum started validating two chains at the same time. Luckily, Ethereum was not truly affected. Tim Bako, an Ethereum core developer and a previous guest on Unchained, told Decrypt, quote, The bug is serious in that it caused a chain split, but the effects on the Ethereum mainnet were negligible given that the vast majority of clients had upgraded. Next headline. Mutant Ape Yacht Club and Loot for Adventurers Expand NFT Boundaries Two NFT collections went especially viral this week. First, on Saturday, Yuga Labs dropped its Mutant Ape Yacht Club collection, selling 10,000 zombified apes in a Dutch auction that started at 3 ETH. Mutant Ape Yacht Club is essentially a sister collection to Bored Ape Yacht Club, the second-largest NFT collection on OpenSea by volume. In addition to the Dutch auction of 10,000 original Mutant Apes, the launch consisted of an airdrop of Mutant Serums to existing Bored Ape holders, allowing them to mint Mutant versions of their apes for free. The project ended up raising $96 million for Yuga Labs. At publishing time, Mutant Apes had the eighth-highest volume traded on OpenSea for all time, despite being released less than a week ago. Number two, last Friday, Vine founder Dom Hoffman dropped an 8,000-piece NFT collection dubbed Loot for Adventurers. The text-based NFT collection quickly caught on. In about a week, Loot has done over $60 million in volume and currently has a market cap of $250 million plus. Rather than a standard JPEG or PNG, the 8,000 Loot NFTs contain walls of text detailing eight specific characteristics randomly generated for scarcity. Each token was minted with a different combination of weapons, chest armor, head armor, waist armor, foot armor, hand armor, necklaces, and rings. The idea, presumably, is for loot NFTs to act as a base layer for other games and protocols to interpret. Essentially, any play-to-earn or Web3 game can plug into loot, download the characteristics, and then spawn its interpretation of a loot NFT in its game. On a related note, Dom will be releasing a new NFT project in the coming weeks labeled SupDrive, which is an on-chain fantasy game console. Next headline. Ethereum Layer 2 competition heats up with launch of Arbitrum. Off-chain Labs, the developer behind Ethereum Layer 2 solution Arbitrum, launched on Tuesday. The company also announced a $120 million funding round at a valuation of $1.2 billion. Arbitrum is built to scale Ethereum by using optimistic rollups, in which transactions are bundled outside of the mainnet before being posted on the Ethereum blockchain. Since launch, transactions on Arbitrum have been markedly cheaper than on Ethereum. According to The Defiant, ETH transfers cost about $1 in gas fees on Arbitrum rather than $11 on Ethereum. Uniswap trades, which require more gas than basic transfers, are currently executing for $5 compared to $81 on Ethereum. Next headline, Cream Finance was involved in a $25 million hack. DeFi protocol Cream Finance fell prey to a flash loan attack this week in which the hacker escaped with $25 million in crypto. PeckShield, a crypto security firm, explained the attacker was able to make off with the money due to a re-entrancy bug, which became available when Cream integrated with the AMP token because AMP uses the ERC-777 the 777 token standard rather than the usual ERC-20 token standard. All right, time for fun bits. CryptoPunks are going Hollywood. Larva Labs, the NFT developer behind CryptoPunks, MeBits, and Autoglyphs, signed a deal with United Talent Agency for representation across film, TV, video games, publishing, and licensing. According to UTA, CryptoPunks would be among the first crypto-native IP to enter the traditional entertainment world. Leslie Silverman, head of UTA Digital Assets, told The Hollywood Reporter, quote, I would say that it is one of the first opportunities for an IP that fully originated in crypto world to enter a broader entertainment space, and they earned it. They have really hit the zeitgeist in a tremendous way. All right, thanks for tuning in. To learn more about Steve, FTX, and Forbes Crypto Asset and Blockchain Advisor, be sure to check out the links in the show notes. Unconfirmed is produced by me, Laura Shin, with help from Anthony Yoon, Mark Murdoch, and Daniel Nuss. Thanks for listening.